0: Good evening tonight. This is our very first Facebook live post from Southern Battle Coalition. We're actually a guest tonight with the Battleborn Duckers. They've been putting on podcasts and stuff for a while. The uh, coalition wanted to get in on the uh, on the event, and so here we are tonight. Um, this is probably going to be about an hour, hour and a half long. You can't comment comment in on questions you have. We're going to be talking about mule deer. Uh, lack of mule deer and leading into the heritage, heritage projects. How does the money go from the heritage out to benefit the wildlife and stuff? So we have to my left, we have Brian Burris with the uh, Wind group. Um, and then we on to the right, we have Ron Stoker. They're on the board of directors for Wind. So this is a collaboration of sportsmen's groups here trying to get out to help educate some of our sportsmen that may have questions about what's going on, rules, regulations, how do we get stuff passed, so on and so forth. So and, uh, enjoy the podcast and enjoy the Facebook Live tonight. And uh, guys, let's get going.
1: Oh, Mike, man, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show again. Um, we're going to release this one at a later date, but we, you're just a wealth of knowledge and we're so excited to have you back on here. Um, the first thing I, I really wanted to bring up to you is what what is the Heritage Fund? How does it work? What does it do? I mean, uh, when we, we sold this huge deer tag for, how much did it go for last year? It
0: uh, it went $175,000 for
2: 100, one
1: deer tag. Hundred That's
0: as much as a house, man. Yeah. Talking real estate. Well, then we sucks, added man. a turkey
2: tag for, what, 3500 or uh, something
0: 30, like that? Th- 32, th- I think 3200 But we, we kind of brag about that because it started off at $700, 800 bucks, In just a matter of probably five short years, it's jumped up to 3000 over 3000
2: I can get one at the grocery store for like 32 bucks. so... Yeah
0: they not know, much of a lion. <laughs> <laughs> they don't taste as good. But well, when
2: I <laughs> shoot them, I get kicked out. So.
1: <laughs> they don't taste like a bunch of $20 bills. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so and, and other tags sell other places, don't they? It's kind of, it's almost like a contest to get these these heritage tags to sell, right? Where did these other tags sell at? So,
0: so for the state of Nevada, uh, the governor, not Sisolak, the governors before him, when they first started the program up, they allocated 14 tags. To this, and of the fourteen tags, five of them are turkey tags. You have a, a California bighorn sheep, a desert bighorn sheep. You've got a, a mule deer. You've got antelope. You've got uh, elk, and I believe you have a bear. I'm not sure. I don't think you have it on the, I don't bear, think we got the yet. bear yet. But oh, yeah. uh, Rocky Mountain goat and a Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep.
1: And they sell all over the place,
0: right? Uh, so what happens is there's groups such as your wind, such as uh, Las Vegas Woods and Waters and stuff that, that will apply, uh, to endow to, uh, have the honor of raffling off live auction and stuff on some of those tags. So, um, you have to buy to get that. And once you get that, usually at these banquets where we've got anywhere from 300 to a thousand people at some of these banquets and people from all over the country can bid on these tags. You do not need to be a resident of Nevada to bid for those. So you can have uh, you can have somebody back in Rhode Island, had know somebody in Las Vegas or Nevada, and you know put in a bid for them.
1: Weren't you on the phone with some people this year, Brian, uh, for those tags?
2: Yeah, I had a bidder out of Utah, and he basically told me his wife would kill him if we went above 120. Uh, but He's got a good wife, man. He's got a really good wife. <laughs> and, and, you know, I know that there's... I mean, they're a little bit controversial because I I think people just don't quite understand them. So, a lot of people look at it as if I give out a heritage tag, then it takes a tag away from the general hunting public. But I think they, if they understood the tags a little bit better, I think that they would quite understand why we do it, why it's so valuable. And the fact that giving out a tag actually puts so much money into the coffers of Endow for reclamation projects and to help improve a species that it actually pays for itself way more. It'll create more tags later on because of the work that's being done under that tag.
1: Yeah, I've always been under the impression of the, you know, like uh, when you go out and you see something's wrong, you know, like whether it be mule deer, Mike, Mike's a great example of this. If he sees something wrong, he gets on and starts, you know, turning wrenches and smashing hammers. But, it, you know, you either show up or shut up. And so like these tags is not just for NBL to use. You could join one of these wildlife groups, whether it be Fraternity Desert Bighorn, whether it be Wynn, whether it be the Checker Foundation, uh, you know, all these, all these groups could put in for these tags, right? Mike, yes. for the money for it. Yep. And, and if, so if you see something, you could join a group, you could show up and then you could start, you know, putting your mouth to work and get some of these projects done that you want to see done.
0: Absolutely. So so with that being said, every year, every fiscal year, um, you know, such as government, they, they put everything in and you've got a pot. Well, Nevada now, that pot uh, gets contributed to about roughly approximately, depending on the economy, $1.2 million every year goes into that fund. Now, the way that it's set up is that goes into a fund the following year because now once we know how much money we got in the bank... Then it can go out through the Wildlife Commission and through the local cabs and say, okay, we've still got the same 14 tags uh, to give out, but now with the projects, now that we've sold the tags, we've got some money for projects. The uh, NGOs, non-government uh, agencies, mm-hmm. will apply, say, hey, we want to put a guzzler in. We need, we've had a lot of fire. We want to do a, a habitat restoration, yes. for example. So they'll go apply uh, for that and um, get some of that money. Let's say, let's use a figure of 1.2 million. 75% of that money goes into the pot to be divvied out through organizations, through projects that following fiscal year. On top of the interest that was accrued the previous year on the principal balance that's in there, which is close to $9 million today. Wow. Unfortunately, you know, at one time it was picking up a lot of interest, but then the interest has dropped off. I mean, all of us that have a, that are lucky enough to have a savings account. I mean, what do you get? A quarter percent interest, maybe a half or something. Not as much so the that. interest isn't that much right now. But when you're talking nine million dollars in there, you know, you might get you might get uh, twenty five thousand, fifty thousand in interest that gets added on to the seventy five percent of that one point two million, which is do some quick math it's a little over eight hundred thousand dollars let's call mm-hmm. it eight hundred fifty thousand bucks so then end out goes okay we have eight hundred fifty thousand dollars to use for projects you guys start will open up the bidding for types of projects somebody can mm-hmm. put in whether it's uh you know it could be it could be a predator control it could be uh, a guzzler it could be it could be anything to benefit wildlife so okay. you've got one year. Now you review these projects, right? As yes, we review the projects at the county level with the cabs and then it also gets a view, uh, viewed and approved by the State Wildlife Commission, which consists of nine members on it.
1: Now not to throw your curveball, you've got, have you ever had some weird projects come through and you're like, well that's not really for wildlife.
0: Um, there's always more. The short answer to oh, that is okay. is anything that can help uh-huh. Whether it's with water, whether it's with habitat, that might be in a habitat area that we don't know the wildlife actually goes into. It. But it's another way to bring wildlife into that area. Yeah. And th- that could be a precursor to possible transplant.
1: Now, th- does every commissioner board, like, go like, I mean, you have, you have a commissioner board for Clark County, you have one for Nye County, right? Do they all look over all these projects? Every,
0: yeah, they're all, all at the same time.
1: And, so and then they all submit the ones they like the best. Is that how it works? Yes,
0: but what happens normally is let's just say use the figure of eight hundred fifty thousand. What do you do when you add up all the projects that got submitted? You're at nine hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Mm, now you got to start voting on okay, which one gets cut or this or that. And so somebody on the state wildlife commission has got to make a motion for a remedy. Hey, it's fifty thousand. Let's spread that out over all twenty projects. Oh, so we'll like cut the
1: budget. So we got to cut the
0: budget. It's yeah, uh, we cannot go over the amount, and all of us know each year how much that budget is before we even start looking at any projects.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. So, what are some big projects that have happened here in Southern
0: Nevada? Uh, we we've done sheep transplants. Mm-hmm. We've done guzzler projects. Uh, we've done guzzler rehab work. Um, there has been some habitat restoration. There might even be a study yeah. that needs to get done. That okay, we need to learn a little bit more about the wildlife. Maybe it's habitats, uh, um, you know, and stuff like that. So anything that has anything to do with Nevada's wildlife is eligible for those. Is eligible. Funds. So
1: now, when when groups make these proposals, what's what's the best way? Does, does the group say, "Hey, we'll pay for twenty percent of this. You pay for eighty percent." What, what gets the projects through? What, what's the secret? It's a good, it's a good
0: question. So it's a six-page application, huh. Just like, just like going to a bank, asking for a loan. okay. But this isn't a loan that you're going to pay back. Mm-hmm. Now, they know that uh, the majority of these uh, projects are also possibly um, eligible for PR, what we call PR funds, which is yeah. Pittman-Robertson. It's a three-to-one match. Maybe you're asking for a hundred thousand out of the Heritage Grant. Mm-hmm. Then Endow has the ability to go into the Pittman Robertson Fund and say, "Okay, we have this viable project. We're going to put a hundred thousand in. We want three hundred thousand out of Pittman Robertson to max that. Now you got four hundred thousand dollars to do that project. Yeah. Now you can get a lot of stuff done. You can get, you know, you can get uh, chaining. You got P and J removal. You can get a lot of that high dollar stuff." But maybe you want to do something just for Upland Game that doesn't cost that much. Maybe it's only twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. And you can get, uh, you know, you say, hey, really, this whole project's only forty thousand. We've raised twenty. We don't really need the whole three to one match. We only need another twenty thousand out of that. So each board member from the cab and each county commissioner—not county commissioner, state wildlife commissioner—has yeah. that information in front of them of what you're requesting. It'll so it of show a line item that says we're gonna put in twenty five thousand. We want a seventy five thousand match, or we want twenty five thousand, and we only want a twenty five thousand match because we only need fifty thousand for this project. We'd rather have the extra money be able to go to other projects, and that's how you get more bang for the
1: buck. Now, what if they come back and they're like, "Hey, listen, we'll fund uh, we'll fund forty uh, percent of this project. You get to fund 60% and your group doesn't have the budget for that. How does that work? You're just like, "Hey, we can't do it." You just reject it or
0: Well, when you when you yeah. apply, yeah. no different than applying for a house. When you say, "I'm going to put 10,000 down as a down payment." Oh, really? If you can't meet that agreement, start off with it's mm-hmm. null and void. Oh, really? You, you have you have to come to the table with the with that, with that. Yes. So do you put in an escrow account
1: with the, the end No, no
0: or- no money changes hands. It's just until- like a promise. Yes. it's okay. kind of yeah, exactly. So you're writing that hey we're going to do this because you don't even know that it's going to get approved. Yeah. So there's no sense you know grabbing money from everybody. Money where your mouth is. So what happens is you go to the state wildlife commission, they vote on it, and they vote twice on it. Mm-hmm. They're actually two months apart, a month and a half apart. So they'll vote on it, and once it gets approved, then you'll get a notification your project was approved. You have X amount of time to fund it send us the check for what you said you would do mm-hmm. they will put that in its own fund okay. own account and say okay we need to get x amount to from our pitman robertson put it in and then there's there is individual accounting just for that project okay so that that project kind of like, like kinda, you're in the home business it's yeah. it's every escrow is only for an address mm-hmm. okay um but that address could have Ten occupied units in. Yeah. So you have to identify that as you're applying for it. Now, how
1: how how do they keep the books at the end of the project? How does that work? So, do they just give you the
0: money, or do you spend all the money and then return receipts for reimbursement? So you're also doing this in conjunction with Mm Endow. So you get a a representative from Endow assigned to your project. Okay. So So Endow will do. Will is the like the liaison with that. So, in part of your um, proposal, you're proposing, okay, well, how much does Endow need to be involved in this? Mm-hmm. How much free labor are you going to get over here from the NGO, the members of the groups? Um, what's all going to be involved? So, so really, you have to spill the beans, so to speak, on the whole mm-hmm. project. Yeah, and you better have people to show up on the project, start too. And And they have a special meeting just for projects <laughs> up in Reno um, where... You get to do a question and answer with the wildlife committee. Well, not the wildlife commissioners. You have a special committee just for the heritage. So you've got, I think it's five or six member, seven mm-hmm. member committee members. So those guys will may say, Ron, it says here you you only need ten thousand. Why don't we're under the impression that that's not enough? How are you expecting to get this done? Because we don't want a project to get halfway done. Yeah. So they may ask you those questions of, okay, well. Who's going to run this project? Is it going to have to be an endow? Or what assistance does endow need to give you on this? And you can say, well, I was planning on planting the seed myself. But if endow wants to come help, you know, they can. Well, let's hypothetically run me through a
1: start to beginning uh, of the heritage project. So one me and Brian thought of, and uh, it came from, you know, shout out to Nate Verdreen. It was his baby. It was his mind child. But we want to hopefully put pheasants up a sunny side. Right. You know, so let's say... We get that brainchild. We don't put pheasants up at Sunnyside. We're going to need, uh, we're going to need enclosures, we're going to need feed for them, and we're going to need habitat. Okay. You know? So, would I get with the endow guy at Sunnyside, or would I go above him? Or Wayne Kirsch is called. Okay,
0: his yeah. so what you would do is you would get with the, uh, upland game biologist. Would you? Okay. Okay. So you would get with, and this one would be Sean Espinoza. Okay. Okay, so you would get with Sean Espinoza and shape, Sean, is this a viable project? Mm -hmm. Here's what we'd like to do. Because those guys in Endow kind of already know what's on the table already. How many projects have they got? Because they can't do every one, so they kind of look and see. And then Endow gets to do their own um, comments. The Endow officials, not the state wildlife, but Endow itself. You might have a Sean Espinosa, Russell Wollenshume, Uh, Comment on a particular project. Like, ah, you know, that's probably, that's one we've been wanting to do. We're glad it's coming up, something like that. So you'll have an actual representative from Endow possibly chime in on your project. What if if they're like, that's not viable, but you really want to do it still? So you can still move forward with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And then uh, the Sean Espinosa, let's Mm -hmm. use, use him for example, may say, uh, a wildlife commission, I have some reservations about this. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, I don't think they'll be able to raise this much money. However, if they do, yes, uh, we can do this project. Um, if they're going to build the pens, if they're going to do this, or going to do that because mm-hmm. the staff isn't set up. I mean, Sean doesn't have an assistant. He does, it's, That's one person. So yeah. that's where the NGOs come in because you guys have tons of people. And yeah. you may say, We're gonna bring twenty five people to the project. We're getting this much material donated that does have a value to it. It's not actual cash you're putting yeah. in, but you may have gotten a lumber yard, for example, that says, Hey, we'll we'll help giving you you know chicken netting, or we'll help uh-huh. you give you steaks, or our fence company, and we'll help you do this and do that. So that uh, they can help walk you through because as a biologist. It's his job to make sure that the population keeps expanding yeah, and all of that stuff. So it behooves them to not sabotage the project, but to help make it a viable project. So
1: the main benefit for the Heritage Project Fund is being used by private NGO groups, what you call them, correct? Okay. Uh-huh. What, what does NGO stand for?
0: Non-governmental organizations. Non-governmental
1: organizations. So the main, the main benefit is it makes the resource of the Heritage Fund Bigger because we can bring the labor in and we mm-hmm. can do the work mm-hmm. and that biologist could then
0: or that, that, that department head could then focus on a different project. He can focus on numerous projects at the same time. He becomes a, a superintendent, if you
2: will. Yeah. Well, um, and the other thing is you get, <clears throat> you're getting a bonus benefit, right? So we talk about Pittman-Robertson funds. So one of the things we talked about last time I was talking with you was the volunteer aspect of Pittman-Robertson funds. So when we do these projects, we have a heritage project that Wynn does or Fraternity of the Bighorn does. Every volunteer hour that they go, that goes into building that project, then also goes into getting additional Pittman-Robertson funds the next term. And so it it just, it's kind of like a snowball effect, right? And then the more, hopefully the bigger your clubs get and the, the more involvement you have with your clubs, The more people you have showing up to projects, the more projects you do, the more people get excited about the projects that are going on and it just keeps growing. So not only are we getting money from the Heritage Fund tag, I think one of the things that people don't understand is when does two tags for the Heritage Fund, we've been pretty lucky we've got two tags the past couple of years. Those tags, 100% of that money raised goes right back into the Heritage Fund. That's correct. None of it goes to Wynn. None of it goes to the organization that touches. We're just facilitating that. And so then that money stays in Nevada. It stays in Nevada, and it's used here in Nevada to do projects that are going to make hunters in Nevada have a better habitat to hunt. Exactly. So I think that's a, a, a big one. I think the misconception is, man, Wynn got $175,000 off a tag. Well, no, we didn't. We got... Whatever our bank would earn for the year and that $175,000 specifically is earmarked to go right back into that heritage fund money. Right. So, um, so that's a, a, a big one. So you can have that $175,000 maybe gets, goes to a project and just say the whole $175 goes to it. Well, now it sells, but for Pittman Robertson money. So we triple that. And then when you go to do the project, you have 500 man hours on it. So those 500 man hours now go into Nevada's account for the Pittman-Robertson fund. And when we go to draw money out of that, we, we get those 500 hours paid back to us, essentially, by a right. percentage. So now, the next year, when I have a project that maybe is $50,000, I've already got a chunk of money already sitting there to be able to use for that project the next year. so
0: it could be available. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the picture you're painting is, is it's sportsmen's that are driving this. Uh, 100%, all, yes. all the way through. Um, whether it's buying the tag, selling the tag, and having what I call the honor or bragging rights of, hey, we, we brought in this much money to end out. You're right. Wynn doesn't get one penny of it. What they get is the PR that, hey, our group has been responsible for helping raise this much money over this year, you know, to put into this and stuff. So, you know, when you come join us, you're a part of that group. I see it it a little bit different when when
1: we sell a heritage tag. I mean, I'm extremely proud that Wynn gets that tag. Okay. I'm I'm excited that we're able to sell it, but I see it as um, all these wildlife groups, we're we're all on the same team. We are. You know, we're all trying to get our wildlife better, whether it be you focus on bighorn, whether it be you focus on chucker, whether it be you focus on waterfowl. We're all trying to get our game better. You know, and in order to get better, we gotta work together. And so when Wynn sells a tag for 170 or we sell it for 3000, like part, I, I don't, I don't care where the money goes as long as it goes to what I want. And right. what I want is wildlife to get better and hunting to get better for me and my kids. Right. And it does that. And it's like, what what is it, Brian? The banquet takes what, like three hours at the at the night?
2: Uh, four hours. Is, yeah. is what we do. But well, I the, mean, multiple hours before. We don't have to get into. Well, that no, mess. it's four hours. <laughs> the bank is set for four hours usually. Yeah. We go, usually go from like six to ten. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is, is we talk about as much as you may, you know, you may not agree with what this club does or what that club does within their organization. I will tell you, I have never gone to a banquet where I haven't had four or five other clubs sitting at that banquet as well. Right. So we'll bring fraternity guys will be in our banquet. In fact, we last year, I'm pretty sure we do it quite a bit, is we did a table exchange for the fraternity. And we went to their banquet and supported them. They came to our banquet and supported us, you know. Mike Reese's guys with uh, Woods and Waters, they're always out at our banquets. So these... Safari Club also Safari do. Club. Yeah. These guys are in... Not only are they spending the money on the heritage funds, but so we go to these banquets and, and Wynn had a pretty good year last year and we were able to raise quite a bit of money and that money goes strictly to projects. Well, when, that, when we go to those projects and build these projects, the other clubs, by coming to our banquet and whether it's buying a hunt or spending money on mm-hmm. games or whatever... They're funding these projects that that our club wants to do. So when I go to somebody else's banquet and I spend some money at their banquet, I'm funding their projects. So we're all really working as a team, either if, even if we don't necessarily all get along all the time. Right. And generally, for the most part, we 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 all get
1: along. We don't have the same goals. Yeah. And
2: we don't have, and that's it. Maybe that's it. We don't have the same goals. And I think when you start adding that and you you look at all the different wildlife groups in town and just what they put back into, their their sports so the waterfowlers with ducks unlimited what they put back in the duck habitats or win with our drinkers and you know that if you go to overton a lot of those duck wines in overton were built by win with right, funds right so everybody has their little niche but we're all earning a ton of money to be able to go out and build these projects and then when we don't have enough money we can come to the board and say hey we have, don't have the money for this project, we want to do this project and it's going to do this X, Y, and Z to improve habitat or to bring in a new habitat or, or whatever it is, we have $50,000, but we need two hundred, right. And so we can come and that's kind of bridging the gap. So um everybody can kind of get their piece of the pie. And there's some, some groups, I mean, the Federation's a, a big one of them, and they've used a lot of heritage funds and They've done really great things with a lot of heritage yes. funds. So, and realistically, if you look at it and the argument you have about people with people saying that that's taking a tag out of the system, well, I know of one hunter in particular that's spent over a million dollars in heritage mm-hmm. tax. So that million dollars is a million dollars we got to put back into making wildlife habitat better. Yeah, I wonder how many made. And, you know, yeah. how many
1: ducks did we get out of that? You might lose a tag, but we're gaining twelve.
2: Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing is. So it's it's a long term goal. You can't look at just the short sighted thing. It really is what's going to happen 10, 20, 30 years down the line, and and what's that going to help? Some some of our biggest issue I think upcoming is going to be kind of repairing some burn areas. Yeah. You know, we had, had a million of, acres burned last yeah, year. Yeah, you had a million acres burned. Well, that's a million acres of lost habitat. So yeah. without some some additional help from things like the heritage tag, because I'll be honest with you, the, the Forest Service is only going to do what the Forest Service budget has. And you know, sometimes that gets low priority. So we're going to have to go in and figure ways to reseed and plant and build a habitat up to get animals back into the habitat where it's usable again. So, you know, it won't happen in the next year that we're going to have a habitat in there. But in 10 years, we can have a very viable, great habitat again, right. you know. And so that's a big part of it.
1: You know, something we talk about, we talk about the, the these all these clubs, you know, we talk about these banquets. And one thing I didn't know until I got into this community is how fun these banquets are, Brian. Why, why don't you go ahead and tell them how mm-hmm. banquets ran, how good, like... It is a blast, man. They're, to go they're on these. fun,
2: but they, man, they certainly a lot of effort, too. So, What do you mean? Oh, I mean, a lot of effort on your wallet, man. Yeah. You always spend well, they a lot of effort on your wallet, but what people don't understand is the, the legwork that goes into, into these banquets, for one. I know Ron and I, uh, this year is going to be tough, I mean, for everybody, because everybody seems to be canceling their banquets left and right thanks to COVID. Oh, is it COVID? Cool, it's so, so not let's, the other guy? This, no, it's... Uh, that, you don't want to say his name? Yeah. No, it's okay. We won't say his The name not to be spoken.
0: Let's stop there for a second. Okay. He just He just said... Okay. This is this is the, uh, the white elephant in the room. COVID. I know of four organizations here in Southern Nevada that have had to cancel their banquet that had a heritage tag. Yeah. So there's speculation on, okay, well, what's going to happen to that tag for this next year? This could possibly be a year, I hope not, that we don't get that million dollars. Now, we still have a bunch of money in there and stuff, but... We might have to skip a year of doing conservation work and stuff,
2: and that's what, that. and that's a, a tough pill to swallow. And it is I mean, this year is going to be more needed probably than any other year that we've had in a long time, especially down in the south. I mean, we had some areas really devastated. And so yeah. and we still haven't recovered. You know, Mount Charleston up there still hasn't recovered from the Carpenter One fire, and now we add another fire onto it this year. So yeah, um, those things. But these banquets, man, Ron and I start. You know, we'll be. In December, we're going hot and heavy in banquet committees every single week. And along with duck hunting is really hunting. (laughs) And then um, our banquet's not till March. So this year, we're one of those organizations that, you know, we've had to cancel our banquet because we can't put enough people in the room to make it a viable. Let's tell our viewers how many people were allowed to put in
0: that banquet where you normally have 500. Now the casinos, that's where we
2: hold our banquets at, are limited. So it's 50
0: people max. Yeah. and so, Nobody can handle so that.
2: you can't, we, we can't make money on I We can barely survive on 250 people in the room. And, and what it does is we see a dramatic increase. When we put 500 people in a room, which is the maximum of a facility we use. When you put those 500 people in a room, that's 500 people all bidding against each other when it's auction time. It's 500 people looking at the silent auction. It's 500 people in and in the raffles, you know, all that stuff adds up. And I mean, you can have a seventy-five, dollars 80000 banquet with 500 people in the room. We're going to have a $20,000 banquet with, with 250 people in the room. But these banquets, you get to them. I mean, usually you have really good food. You got like-minded people at these banquets. And you know, most of the guys, this is one time of the year that, their wives enjoy going and sitting down and dealing with anything with hunting,
1: because <laughs> yeah, they get to go buy, spend all their money. So they man. get to go
2: spend all their money, and you know, there's always stuff for the ladies. I know Ron and I when we do. Um, we have two different organizations. We do Win, and then I'm I'm part of the friends of the NRA, where we donate a bunch of stuff. But we actually a big part of all these banquets is guns. And that's the thing yeah. is with the the, the guns. How many guns did
1: we have the wind Banquet last year? Like
2: 40? Uh, close. I mean, it was it was quite a few. And I mean, we try to be at a big banquet where you have 500 people. We try to be above 25, 30 guns because the guns bring people in. And so for our goal at our banquet is to really make it an enjoyable banquet. Everybody can get together and have a good time, have a couple beers, have a great, great meal. And then... We usually bring in we try to bring in a guest speaker, um, see if we can bring somebody from like Endow or something like that into those those things. And you know, you get to hear that and then we have the auctions are always fun, the raffles are always fun. But then for us, for for Wynn in particular, the the biggest thing for us at the end of the day is our very last thing we do pretty much is the heritage fund auction and and that heritage fund tag, it's for us we do phone bidders. Because yeah. a lot of people can't be in the room.
1: Well, we do phone bidders because we like to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and we do like to make money. Bring a lot in. Well,
2: yeah. And it's it's not that we're, again, it's not that we like to make money for us. It's not, none of it's going to us. None of it's going to the organization. It's, it's, it's a form of pride. So we, yeah. we set a record at 175000 last year. And and it was because you have phone bidders that, that, that want that tag. Mm-hmm. And it's the one time you can. I mean, the heritage tag is great. You can hunt wherever you want, whenever you want. You know, it's pretty much August first to <laughs> December thirty first. I, I got a
1: funny story about that. We, we, I brought in, I brought in one of my investors last time for this heritage tag, and uh, <coughs> it just blew his mind that someone would spend that much money on a deer tag. And he looks at me, he's like, "So, how many deer do you get to shoot with this tag?" And I was like, "Just one." He's like, "One in every state?" I was like, "No, no, just one in Nevada." And he's like. So you pay hundred seventy thousand dollars and you're guaranteed one. I was like, no, you might not get one. He's like, I don't understand.
2: <laughs> so, and the thing is, these guys that are you know these guys that are buying these tags, they're gonna go out and they're gonna they're gonna pay for a guide because they have obviously they have one hundred seventy five thousand dollars to buy a tag, but they're generally gonna go pay for a guide and they're gonna go try to get the biggest buck that they can out of it. And, One of the things that that does is it also helps our population out too, because you're taking some of those older bucks out of the system. And so we can keep some of those younger bucks in. Mm -hmm. So if I give that same tag out, just a general use tag and somebody sees a spike and that's the only thing they see, they're taking a spike or taking a young, a young deer out of the population that has a lot of breeding life left in it versus, you know, the monsters, everybody wants a monster, but in, in the real, Grand scheme of things, those are the ones you pro- you want to pull out of the system because those are the ones that are your older bucks, yeah. and those are the ones that aren't as product going to be produ- as productive anymore. They're going to have a harder time getting on those and and pop- repopulating. So th- they they have a lot of a lot of good things, and the guys that buy these man, they. They do it just as much to give back to wildlife because some of these same guys that are bidding Absolutely. Animals, a very good point. are the it's... ones that are coming to us as wildlife organizations and saying, Hey, what do you need? Well, you know, we know some of
1: these guys and they, they can shoot bigger bucks out of their places if they wanted to. Absolutely. Am I right, Mike?
0: Yeah, well, the, some of them will, for example, go down to Mexico. Yeah, it's up. But but the, the, the people that buy these, um, fortunately for us, uh in the last uh decade or so the majority of the it are actual nevada residents yeah so it hasn't been somebody from back east coming and buy it and doing it now they those guys from back east and the midwest and stuff they do bid but our hometown guys just have some pride it's like no we're you know they know where that money's going yeah they know it goes for a very good cause they know that. And the majority of them want no, no notoriety for it at yeah, all. Yeah, that's why we're not dropping any names tonight. Yeah, they just want to remain silent. They know, uh, you know, they know in the real world it's a lot of money. But you know what? I could go and donate that much money and not get anything out of it. This is yeah. just something they can do. and, and um, But it's something that a lot of those guys probably started off as a young kid just going to doing it now that i've made some money and i can do this let me that's that's their way of giving back now that is a really cool place like that i can think of like five companies
1: slash guys on the top of my head that do so much for wildlife mm-hmm. and want zero acknowledgement no matter how bad you want to give it to them but they're like if you if you say it you know i'm not gonna be your friend anymore yeah so well it's
2: just i mean it really is for the love of of the sport and that's. And that, that really is, comes out where it comes down to brass taxes. These guys want to support wildlife causes. And so they're going to buy a turkey tag or, or a deer tag or a bear tag, whatever they're going to buy. But then on top of that, they're going to go to a lot of these organizations and and they're going to be the ones that are going in and saying, Hey, what do you need? What can I help with? You know, yeah. these people are, 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 so giving and and you look at, one individual that can give over a million dollars to to wildlife causes and and have no, I mean, if you're in the wildlife circle and you're in the banquet circle, you know who he is. But other other people would never know that guy. Gave is and, and so it, it's a great thing, and and, he, and it's great to have people that are humble enough because we do have a lot of people that like the grandstand and and. They give a dollar and they want everybody to know that they gave a dollar and these people are giving a lot more. So, so we had
0: a guy, uh, at the wind banquet. He wasn't successful, but it was a coincidence that you guys probably didn't know this, no. but because I was on the phone with him, we had a guy in Missouri who got a hold of me and said, Hey, I want to get a turkey from all of these different states. I need a Nevada turkey. <laughs> that's all I need. Yeah, I go and I go. Okay, well, I go. He goes. So I heard you're going to the win uh, wind banquet. Will you bid for me? Sure. Call call me up and and we'll put it in. Yeah. I stopped at twenty six hundred because he's like, oh man, that's you know that's that's a lot of money, and he was so dejected that when he did, he got on the phone and called Carson City. That was auctioning off a turkey tag an hour later. Uh-huh. And he bought a turkey tag for $3,200. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't know that. But he he had two chances. He goes, well, I hope I can get it from some good men. My point to this whole thing is... We get ridiculed because all we want to do is take out the big trophy things. That guy just wanted to have a turkey. Mm-hmm. Size yeah. wasn't of the matter. Yeah. I wanted to have a turkey from Nevada. Yeah, That to him was His trophy that was it. That well, was it.
2: Well, we talk about bighorn and all this other stuff, but turkey is one of the toughest draws in Nevada. Oh, I mean, it's what I think southern Nevada and the Overton area. I think what they have nine tags total, yeah. And, and so, you have nine tags among 4,500 or 5,000 people putting in for those nine and through tags. some
0: of the projects and the predator projects, it went from seven to nine,
2: yeah. And and it's know, for
1: a long time, those those turkeys then used to be in Overton, Mike. Don't you know the, you know the history of that? Can you tell us a little bit of the history of those turkeys where they came from? Uh, we got a,
0: we got the majority of our turkeys out of Texas. Yeah. When they did the transplant, and then they started putting a uh, turkey. We had turkeys right here in Mount Charleston for the longest time. Did we really? Yeah. We have turkeys and chucker. Are but there still th- turkeys in Mount Charleston? Uh, uh, most of the most of those didn't make it for whatever reason. Predator. And it control. may have been a lot of that had to do with predators. People wonder why we want to have a predator project and do stuff because we understand the side effects of Yeah. The- but we still have chucker on Mount Charleston. I see those quite often. Yeah. But it's been years since I've ever seen a turkey up there. Well, but the, you've got you've got turkey in places that never had it. You got turkey in Lincoln County.
2: Yeah. You got you got turkey up there in Overton and stuff. Yeah. Um, and those yeah. are all things to sportsmen. Well, yeah. And they're and and the turkeys that so the turkeys got transplanted. And people that don't if most people in Southern Nevada know Overton, <laughs> but it's it's. As desert as it comes. I mean, we're 120 yeah. degrees in the summer. But those turkeys actually, that that game preservers has produced some state record turkeys out of this. Yes. So so the non-typical turkeys out there are set in state records. And so that's all specifically due to a project that decided that we needed to bring a species in and, and to have a, another game species. But that particular one was a well-managed. I mean, we can all think of a couple yeah. that weren't so well-managed. But this one was a very well managed one, so that's part of the heritage fund stuff. Is when we're doing a project, making sure that project can be managed properly. That we're not doing something like bringing striped bass into Lake Mead that would never re- reproduce. <laughs> you had a trophy trout in the seventies. I mean, it was it was a, a, a largemouth fishery. It was the first bass yeah. tournament in the United States. It was actually out at Lake Mead. People would never know that. There's still some largemouth and smallmouth bass in there, but, but but man, the striper have just decimated that population. Yeah. If you look at look at size of fish, it, for a long time, there was st- the state record was taken in the 50s, a- a- and it, it held until just recently. long time. And so, you know, you look at those programs, so we want to make sure as as wildlife groups that we're working with, Endow and the biologists and, and everybody to make sure that when we do these projects, and we, Ronnie, and I, we're talking about the pheasant transplant. And when when yeah. we bring in, a f- say, some pheasant that we're not going to do harm to that environment right, for something else.
0: Well, you guys may not know this, oh, wow. but back in the seventies, you did have a, you could get a permit and you could hunt pheasants at Overton. There's yeah. still some out
2: there. Actually, I've seen a couple of okay. them out there on the game preserve. Hey, so- what's it
1: called when uh, someone grabs a fish and breaks, takes it to another lake? Isn't there a nickname for that person? Like, they're not uh, criminal? No, I know it's a criminal. <laughs> there's a name for it. They call it a... I'll, I'll figure it out later. That's okay. Like, it, it does urban. happen. There, there's a nickname for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? They call them like, urban biologists or something or... Anyway. Okay, sorry, I don't Brian. Don't I'll don't talk. Talk. I don't
2: run with those circles.
1: Well, and, and I'm going to Google right now. I'll tell you exactly yeah, like And the is. striped
2: bass population wasn't... It it was it was truly it was a government program and they it was. they thought that they did the research they thought that the with the change in the water temperature that they'd never be able to reproduce and man they were definitely wrong on that one and and they you reproduced like a,
0: you guys ought to get a Doug nilson or somebody from endow come on and talk about
2: that well and, and that's we're gonna that's one of our our goals I mean we're going through the progression we're kind of setting people up to come in and and you know there's a list and we've got we're working our way down the list and and but you know that's part of the thing is as organizations we it's kind of good because endow has they have a couple biologists and they have some specialists that are here and there but they're stretched so thin where your wildlife groups they're going to be special t- specialized in a species most of the time. Most of so, the time, yes. So you're going to be... wind is a little bit different because we kind of cover a little bit of everything, but you got your bighorn, you got your mule deer foundation. Mule deer foundation is not going to go and start looking at how to improve the bighorn habitat. Now, as a benefit of improving mule deer habitat, maybe there's some side benefit for Absolutely, the yeah. Um, your ducks unlimited, they're not going to go out and start stalking trout. Yeah. or uh, an animal. And, but what happens with you ha- when you have it is you start getting guys that are subject matter experts. Even if they're not state biologists, they know a wild, wild waterfowl guy is going to know waterfowl. A uh, bighorn guy is going to know bighorn. Right. And, and that's what they specialize in. That's what they concentrate on. So there's a lot less chance that if bighorn fraternity comes up with a bighorn project, that's going to be a viable, useful project. It's not going to cause long-term problems because they've done all their due diligence to make it better for, for their group, waterfowl. I'm not going to do anything that's going to reduce the duck habitat, you know? And so we, we look at those things and some of, some of the stuff we can partner with within now on our own and it doesn't, it's really, you don't
0: have to go through the heritage fund to do that. You can just do it as a project with
2: them. On its own merits, the Heritage Fund, my understanding is, it's designed so we can get these bigger projects that are a lot more to chew off financially. Yes, and 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 that's that's a lot of what we use. I mean, certainly we could go to them and ask for four or five thousand dollars to do this or that. Most of the clubs are have their finances set to where four or five thousand dollars isn't going to kill them. But yeah, we we don't have to ask anybody. We can come. There's certain projects that. You know, I have four or five thousand dollars that I have for a project, but I really need forty thousand dollars for a project, and so at that point, we can. You know, there's several options that a lot of us will go out to outside contractors, and we have a couple that it's whatever you need, sure. We'll, we'll provide it, we'll provide equipment, we'll provide all this, and we'll do it. And if you can't get money there, then there's the option of the heritage fund. One of the questions I have, and, and I'm sure kind of everybody else has it, and just for clarification. What is the difference between a heritage tag and a governor's tag? It's the same. It's the same. The reason for the
0: reason it's the same is back when it's the governor who passed the statute to allow for that heritage fund. Because the fund, they don't start a governor's fund. That yeah. wouldn't sound very good. So they start a heritage fund. Well, they do. But it goes just... in. So in our world, it's called... A heritage tag, but back in the day when my dad got a tag in say Wyoming, he, everybody knew and it said right on it, it's the governor's tag for Rocky Mountain Bighorn Sheep. So it's the governor who makes it legal to
2: be able to take that tag and legally disperse it. How? And it's it's kind of nice because you get you get a group like I know Woods and Waters does does a heritage tag. We do a, a turkey tag. We just started doing a turkey tag. the a couple of years. You know all these groups that do them. So it's kind of nice because when I don't think has done a heritage project in all in quite a while. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to when we get a, a project that we think fits that that level, um we'll know that we helped raise. A some money large to portion of that money Absolutely. to be able to do that project, and and for us, it's it's kind of I listened to some, somebody one day say, well, we're not getting any money out of it. Why are we so worried about it? Well, because we we have the ability to use that fund, and everybody right. in the state has the ability to use that fund. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just help everybody else out because eventually that that is going to come back to where you're the one that's needing the help. You're the organization that's needing a little bit of extra funding to get a certain project done now there's a lot of projects out there to be done i mean we've we started looking at projects we can do for her with heritage funds this last year and just kind of brainstorming what we had and there's a couple that really do fit the bill i think if somebody could come out with a great predator control project that we could we could get on the books and, and help control some of these predators your small game i mean birds, it's easy for a coyote to take out a whole flock of birds. I mean, it's really... You know innovative. what really bothers so, me
1: about that predator control is how much we spend on it versus how much it could cost if we did it other ways.
0: Okay, so let's let's elaborate on okay. this a little bit so that the, the listeners out there can understand this. Right now, tonight, we're talking mainly about the heritage. But there are other sources of funds that we can apply for for a project. Let's say you guys are waterfowl guys. Mm-hmm. You have the waterfowl stamp. You mm-hmm. have the federal and you have the state. So there is a percentage of that money. It's not like the Heritage Fund, but there is a percentage of that money every year that gets allocated for funds uh, for projects in the state of Nevada. We use a cap vote on that, and then the State Wildlife Commission does. Now um, you have Upland Game. Okay, so there's funds in that Upland Game. So if you guys are going to do a project for, say, Quail or Chucker, you don't necessarily need to go to the Heritage Fund. Now you started talking about the Predator. Well, here's where it gets a little, to me, it gets a little dicey. Because the only group that funds the Predators is whoever applies for a big game tag. Yeah. Okay. So so just to let the viewers know, last year we had 340 over 349,000 applications for big game tags. Okay, let's call let's round it off, call it $350. So you get $3 for every one of those. So there's, there's like a million fifty just to go into the predator fund. Now, let's say the let's say the project you guys want to do is to benefit waterfowl. You can go and ask the predator, um, Pat Jackson, say you need to do a project out here to help with our upland game, with our, our waterfowl. And long story short, that's how it came to be. So where you guys had, they contracted wildlife services. Wildlife services came out and did some predator control on Overton for turkeys, but it also benefited numerous things and stuff. So I want, I want the sporting community that's either just starting or getting out there to know that we don't have just one fund. To fund these projects. We do have a conglomerate of funds to go in. And bottom line. It's still sportsmen that fund it. Exactly. And it's still sportsmen that put the projects together. And see it through. And it's still the sportsmen. Even though we go out and we harvest something. We're like a farmer. We want to put back the crops that we just took out and ate.
2: Because we want to have a, a whole bunch of crops for the following year. In the following decade. Well and we're also. I mean you talk about farmers. So farmers farmer is not going to leave an apple tree full of apples so he's going to thin the apples because then he can have bigger apples yes so we're doing the same thing so if we were to leave us leave the habitats unchecked right and we we took the hunting pressure away completely what's going to happen is you're going to overgraze those lands when you overgraze those lands then you don't have a healthy species anymore so so as as outdoorsmen and sportsmen we're actually creating a healthier herd. right and and it, it sounds counterintuitive. I mean, you're gonna kill something to create a, a healthier herd, and to the outside people, they don't understand it. Correct. But I will tell you, I have never seen the Sierra Club put one penny back into wildlife conservation on a state or federal level. Are you serious? They don't. So, so, so they're not. they the, the tags and the ammunition sales and the and the firearm sales. And, and the fishing licenses and all that stuff are the, the money's coming in from those and, and those are your biggest source. Now that being said, the reason the federal duck stamp program was started was to put money back into that. They, they say on average 50% of federal duck stamps are actually sold to hunters. Yeah. So 50% of the people are, are paying into that conservation of the wetlands and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But they're never gonna go out and hunt. And what it was is a lot of times the for the federal duck stamp. You got a couple things. You got some sportsmen are out there buying two or three because they want a collector's item. They or have, to have like one that one in Absolutely. their wallet, and they have to. They want one to collect.
1: Yeah, you got to sign over the one you put in your wallet.
2: Other yeah. people have got their duck stamps, and because their mom and dad had duck stamps, and they bought duck stamps, and some people like the artwork. Yeah, and so it's a great way to. To kind of fill out, I, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea for other species to do the same thing, because you would get that non-hunter market into some of those things. But then you get into the point where I know Nevada, we were pretty lucky. Now they did away with all the extras. There are no extras in Nevada really anymore. Right? It's a one one it's, time fee. It's it's all, a, yeah, you don't have to pay for a second rod anymore. You don't what have to pay. A the heritage
1: cover? Some of that.
2: Covered some of lot in what those way?
1: Those extra fees, you know, no. because we have the hair. No, those extra fees didn't go into wildlife. No,
2: the, the, so those extra fees just those extra fees just got combined. It's just a higher price for your license. So everybody buys those all Well, what it.
0: what what it did is, um, it was a co- called a uh, consolidation. Mm-hmm. Okay, we had twenty seven or twenty eight different tags and stuff that you had to buy. They condensed it down to about eight. I like okay. That, so so it, it was a consolidation. But what happened is, if, if you took every one of those items you just mentioned and totaled up, uh, it would be, I, I'm not sure what, let's just call it 80 bucks. Well, now you can go buy your regular one, it's gonna cost you seven, sixty-five. Where they make it up is, well, if you wanna hunt quail, you have to have enough little game. And in order to get that, you have, it comes with this. You're up in game. If all you want to do is hunt quail, you have to pay a higher amount now. But if you want to take up, you know, when it's not quail season, you want to go waterfowl, you've already paid for it. So we're seeing a 20% increase uh, the first year that we did it in revenue off of the license. It was set up to be a revenue neutral, but not no- knowing that's their projection it would become. Yes, it did make a little bit, but I think is what it is, is because, hey, you already have a license to go hunt duck with this. You don't need to go buy the stuff. Why don't you come with this? Mm -hmm. It made it easier for you to take... It does make uh, it easier to take new people. Take somebody out and stuff. And and what I
2: did find out is, um, I have a friend that he lives in Utah, and he was talking about coming out and duck hunting with us one day, and if you are an out-of-state hunter... Mm-hmm. And you're hunting waterfowl in the state of Nevada, not only do you have to have a federal duck stamp, but you also have to have a Nevada duck stamp. State. Yes. So so those guys were charging them an additional fee to be able to harvest ducks in the state of Nevada. So that's the only group that's, that there is a such thing as a Nevada duck stamp for. Oh really? Is it yes. just for that out of state license. So we're actually putting some money away into that fund because they're having to buy a duck stamp in Nevada to help Nevada wildlife, too. So, hey,
1: yeah. to get back to the point we have, I, I, I text messaged some of my degenerate friends, <laughs> and it is called a bucket biologist. So, a bucket uh, biologist. Oh, so okay. that, okay. that takes the striper from back east and dumps them in Lake Mead. So, yeah. Oh. Now you guys all know. But.
2: Uh, there's some bucket biologists around Overton. I know that for <laughs> sure. Because they
1: keep draining that res and people like to fish The, the it. Reservoir always has fish
2: in it for some reason. <laughs> I don't know no matter how, how it empty that.
1: it gets.
0: So, oh, so back to the predator fee, the fund. You got a million and a half, a million fifty thousand going in this next year. So there was a bill introduced in the legislature because what was happening passed. Um, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, is majority of the money was being spent for studies. When the guy that's buying a deer tag, it says predator feed. The assumption is, they're helping keep the coyotes from eating my fawns and stuff. Well then, come to find out that that $3 predator feed money, a good percentage of that money was being used for raven control. Well, In that bill, not to get really down into the weeds with this, but in that bill, 501.250, I believe it is, or one, yeah, I think it is, or 253, there's five tenets to the bill. You can use the money for lethal control. You can use the money for study. You can use the money for public education. Um, I'm missing one, but the, but the, the caveat to it was or a sensitive species. Well, we all know if the sage grouse ever got mm-hmm. listed as a threatened species—not not going extinct, but as a threatened species—our mm-hmm. honey, no matter what it would would have the, the scene on that would have drastically changed. Yeah. Therefore, the way to protect the sage grouse was the raven control because the ravens were the ones that were taking all the eggs and and having playing havoc on it. So. During that time, with the decline, the sharp decline and continual decline in uh, sage-grouse populations, they started putting a lot more money. And that
2: money came from the big game hunters. Well, and the, and the, the raven control, I mean, it's not... Ravens are a pretty nasty species, and the reason we can't hunt them, I'm, it's just ridiculous. So it's a, it's a treaty with Mexico. They won't shoot our bird if we don't shoot their bird type thing. Well,
0: y- yes, and yes and no. Um, what what happened is, in 1917, the uh, uh, Migratory Bird Act went into effect, and there was agreements made, and why is it listed, okay, I, I, I myself laugh at the thought of migratory, okay, well then, if you want to get down the weeds, well, what's the definition of a migratory? Hey, it flew a mile up the road to see if there's a more roadkill there, because I can tell you, as long as we keep running over rabbits and stuff on the roads, these birds ain't migrating yeah, nowhere. Yeah, you're what? feeding
1: them pretty good. Yeah. I really? mean,
0: so so you know, but um, this is where the Southern Nevada Coalition for Wildlife comes onto the scene as the only way that that's going to get changed is through Congress. Yes. So you can amend that, but you got to educate some of the other congressional people on that and get a <laughs> majority to vote on it. Somebody to introduce the bill. And so on and so forth but we have a lot of other things like that as well but honestly yeah we're stuck with that we've been stuck with that for 103 years now
2: well you know it's funny so we have you know they used to crows
0: have, are, crows are a di- not yeah. to interrupt you but crows are a different story oh, yeah. because crows the limit is 25 a day 75 in possession exactly how do you, how do
1: you tell the difference between a crow and
0: a raven when it's flying honestly no don't tell, don't tell no, I, it's very simple but until you know it yeah. it's very simple a crow, his tail feathers are straight across the back, mm-hmm. okay, Rain and a right raven's right. forms a diamond. Okay. I've always said diamonds are very expensive, so if you shoot a diamond,
2: you better pull your visa out. Well, you know, the funny thing is uh, I, have, sure. I have a friend that had a cattle ranch, and it was a big thing. There were turtles and blah, 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 yeah. blah, and it was just a big ugliness, but they came onto the cattle ranch and they did a raven project, and so they absolutely, had to build, that's a- So they built nesting boxes for the ravens, right? And so these ravens would sit on their nesting boxes and wait for the baby tortoises to go by, and their favorite food is baby tortoise, absolutely. And so they would just annihilate the baby tortoise. And so you're you're protecting a species that. I, you have a predator-prey exactly. equation in all of wildlife, and, and but you're protecting the species that for us. I mean, they're they're everywhere. I mean, they're just they're out of control. And then you have another species that you are shutting down areas because they're so endangered, and then you're letting the species that's out of control devastate that. That
1: well, I mean, you got to have a habitat. It's got there. a point. It's well, no, I think I think Brian's wrong. I mean, you got to have those turtles out there so the ravens have food.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. That's You're it. swapping a turtle for a sage hen, for sage grouse. Pretty much. And, and, that's, and that's where we're at. I mean, so it's just, I think sometimes we go a little too far with the trying to make everything. And, and treaties are great. And treaties, a lot of times, you know, I will tell you, if you go up to Alaska, people hate the bald eagles because they just get into everything and create a mess. Because they're so prevalent. But you come around Nevada, and the chances of you seeing a bald eagle, I mean, there's a lot more than I ever remember as a kid. I there knew. I, yeah, there is a lot more but, than it is. But they're still doing. a fairly rare bird to see in, in Nevada. In the so, lower 48, yes. So, but you, I mean, so you see them. Being in the lower forty-eight, and it's like, man, that's an amazing bird. They're so majestic,
1: man. (laughs) Holy, I mean, privilege.
2: Then you go up north, and they're like, dude, uh, I wish all those birds were gone, man. They're just they're a nuisance, you know.
1: Hey, um, just if you're an average Joe, Mike, okay, what clubs? I'm going to name off wildlife. This is kind of something discussed beforehand. I'm going to name off wildlife. If they have a project they want to do for that specific wildlife. I want you to name some clubs they could join. Okay. okay, so Upland Game. What clubs would you recommend for Upland Game if they want to do a project for Upland Game? Well, right now you have
0: um, you got Carson Valley Chucker. Okay, uh, up north, down here in the south, yeah, we don't have we, we don't have any there per se. We have some that have talked about doing yeah. projects. Um, let me talk. Let me let's talk a little bit about some of the fallacies that okay. because us down here we like to hunt quail yeah a lot of the guys will go to arizona because the quail in arizona are very prolific yeah what the average hunter doesn't know is the lifespan of a quail in the wild is 18 months two yeah. years so it's always been hey save some for next time <laughs> well the truth of the matter is as long as you have a mating pair you're gonna turn around and probably have upwards of almost twenty-five so for the first brood. And if you have three broods a year, yeah, on a good year, because you have the habitat, the seeds mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and you have the precipitation for both the habitat and for them to drink out of, yeah. you could have a bumper crop. And I think that this year we went uh, close to two hundred projects yeah, down here in the yeah. south, over two hundred days with no water. Yeah. I can kind of tell you right now, I don't know what project you could do. To really enhance the population because A, there's no, there's no water for them mm-hmm. to drink of other than probably the guzzlers that we've done saying. for the sheep. Okay, that will help. But then again, we don't have any water for the habitat to make that habitat yeah. grow. So, so if you want to do Southern Nevada, I think you could get with the wind group. The wind group would probably, Wynn, Wynn would probably be the first one that I would recommend to. And, and, and I know wind well enough that if you've got a half a dozen guys that went and joined wind and said, hey, we're, uh, we're bird hunters. We like doing this. Can we, uh, we'll help you. Can we start a, a, an upland game project? Okay, what would you like to do? You want to do a nesting ground? You want to do, what do you want to do?
1: Yeah, we just, what what bird do you want? And we'll call that biologist and be like, what do we need to do? And exactly. that's all you have to do. They know what yeah. they need to do. They still have the manpower. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk
0: about um, mule deer. Okay, well, mule deer, we don't have a mule deer foundation in Las Vegas. Okay. In Las Vegas, yeah. the closest one is Meadow uh, Valley Wildlife Unlimited, yeah. which is in Lincoln County. Yeah. Um, they broke away from the Mule Deer Foundation okay. because now they don't have to take the money from the proceeds for the banquets, send them away, stays right there. And every year they are doing mule deer projects, yeah. whether it's a guzzler, whether it's a cheney, pin, pin, uh, pinion and juniper, we call it PJ removal. Yeah. They're doing a ton of stuff. Boots on the ground, money into the project. Yeah, for Mule Deer. I agree country. with that. Um, yeah,
1: Perump started a Mule Deer Foundation.
0: Did they? Okay. Yeah. So there's Perump. Um, elk. We have Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Anybody else you can think of? Um, you have you have the Safari Club mm-hmm. Internet. Now we have a Safari Club Las Vegas chapter. Yeah, I know quite a few guys that are in there, and those guys will hunt anything. <laughs> yes, they do love to go. And go on the safaris and stuff. Yeah. But when you can't do that, because you're not going to do that every single year. I know a lot of those guys that put in for deer tags every year. They'll yeah. put in for an elk tag. They'll put in for an antelope tag. So those guys, if somebody came to them with a viable project, um, I've had, um, I've proposed projects in the past, uh, collaring projects, just yeah. to find out migration routes for stuff. I've had wind. I've had uh, uh, um, the fraternity. Water. I've had Meadow Valley Wildlife. I've had Safari Club International. I've had Las Vegas Woods and Waters. I've had the Southern Valley Coalition. But at the time, it wasn't a viable enough project at the time um, with the endow uh, uh, staff and stuff to do yeah. that. But I think that it would be, it would probably be a welcome. But right now, today, you guys may not know that there's 286 callers mm-hmm. on mule deer in the state of Nevada. Today.
1: Aren't they problem, problem the problem with that though? is,
0: is because it's funded by the mines, yeah. so the majority of that, but that is knowledge that's coming off of deer that hang around the mines. Now, it just the mines- makes so much
1: sense to do that, doesn't it? Like, I mean, we did it for the ducks in the what was it, early 60s, 50s. Yeah. We started banning ducks, and now our duck population is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems
0: like it for We're 49 million ducks. Yeah. In, in North America. And we, we've dropped down to a drastic number of meals, What are we yeah. at right now? Well, right now, today, we're probably hanging around, uh, I'm going to say 90,000. And the reason for that is um, for the anti hunter or something like that, they want to use a fact and figure yeah. and they want to do a graph. In the real world, if I sat and asked you, Ron, how much money do you have? Well, you mean right this minute in my pocket yeah. or Friday after I get paid? Or if you come and ask me Monday after I make my house payment, I'm going to have a different amount. We're talking about equity
1: in our cars, houses, exactly. stocks. So
0: sale. in our world of wildlife management, we have to deal with what we're known as trends. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we try to do an aerial count the same time every year to get what we perceive is the basis of where we at. What were we at last year? What, what did our spring count? What did our fall count show? So right now, the, the, the thought and the belief is, we're hanging around 90,000. But let's put that in perspective. The te- the uh draw went into effect statewide 1977. 1977, it was perceived that we had about 115,000 deer mm-hmm. in the state. But it, it had it dropped down. So 1977, let's jump ahead 10 years, 1987, 1988 was our pinnacle. You had two years that we were up around about 260,000 deer. Okay. Uh, you know, you could have been off 5,000. It's, it, you're, you, you don't have the ability to count every single one. So you project that amount. From, uh, I'm going to say from 1989 down, we've been on a steady g- decline. Usually you have peaks and valleys. If you look at a graph, it's a steady decline. It's not drastic. Mm-hmm. It's a slow, steady decline. To give you something to compare it to, in the year 2000, we were estimated at having um, about 135,000. Okay? So we're we're starting in 2021. In 21 years, we've lost 45,000 deer. Holy now, smart. in two decades. So when you put that into perspective, it, it, it begs the question of, well, how low does it have to get before you start doing something about it? Well, what right now, the state just approved a mule deer enhancement program to study it. And basically what that comes out to be is we want you guys that are sportsmen, that are hunters, that are out in the field all the time, whether you're trappers, hunters, or whatever, to come back and tell us what you believe the top five limiting factors are on mule deer growth. But it's not for the whole state. It's for each little hunt area yeah what's what's affecting these hunt areas well you know, areas they hunt in yeah
1: exactly exactly so where I you're hanging out and where your family's hunted for years and you know you've seen the change from where there's a lot of deer to where there's not a lot of deer and you're the boots on the ground now
2: yeah what i think you look at just the habitat and so you look at back in the 40s 50s 60s 70s the way we managed our forests were a lot different so back in the 50s if there was a fire. That fire burned pretty quick, pretty rapid. It went out by itself pretty easily. What's happened now is we've got so aggressive on our management of our forests that we we get these big fires that we never got before. So so they're we're de- I think we're devastating more habitat every year. Yeah, and it seems like our fires are getting worse, and it's because back in the day, if you didn't put the fire out, there was not much underbrush to burn, so it, those fires moved really quick and they didn't get the trees what's happening now is there's so much underbrush to burn is it's burning the trees out as it's well. It's a fuel. It's, and so the understory. And, and so I think if there needs to be some changes just all around, and part of the sportsman thing is, you know, getting out there and noticing those trends and helping with some of these projects. And and the more we have to clean up the, those areas, and so these little fires are great because they would run through and they'd clean everything out. And then you'd have new growth on top of that. So, right. So you were getting a lot of benefit out of it. You're not getting the benefit. If you look at pictures from around the Reno area in the 50s, compared to what's around there today, I mean, there's no trees today compared to what there were in the 50s. Yeah, and that's a big part of habitat as well. So it
0: we, is. we and, did have a, we had a
1: Robbie Homer or Horner chime in on the the coalition page here, and he okay. said that industrial growth is what he believes is we, one of the major factors.
0: It 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 has the, Las Vegas Valley has certainly grown. Yeah. But Las Vegas Valley hasn't been known for a lot of deer. Well, I mean, up around Reno area. And Reno, Reno area is getting that. But when you start to look at it, um, you got, you got to look at, at at everything and you got more bears in the Reno area than you've ever had. We've got wolves coming in in Nevada now. You got, yeah, you got, you got moose. We got, I think, 54 documented cases of moose in the state of Nevada up in the other part of the state. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot of things that, uh, are variables for this? For me personally, one of the most astounding stats, you just mentioned uh, fires. Well, that is, that is one thing. But the thing that sticks out with me, our deer population is going down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Our landowner tags are going up.
1: Mm.
0: Our landowner tags have gone up so much because our landowner tags are based on a percentage of the overall quota. So it used to be that you could not give out, well, let me, let me back up. Let's explain what a landowner tag is. You have a rancher farmer that has uh, a business and deer come in and feed on it, whatever. Uh, if you have 50 deer at one time, for or I should say for every 50 deer, the state will issue you a compensation of one mule deer tag. Now you can take that mule deer tag and you can hunt that mule deer yourself or you can take that mule deer tag and you can auction it off, you can sell it, you can do whatever. Some of those tags now are going upwards of 10, 15, 20,000, depending on what part of the state it's in. So the reason that I wanted to do a migra story study is I believe, and I could be wrong because I'm not a biologist, but I believe that some of the older does have died off And a lot more fawns are getting born in and around ag fields Mm -hmm. than ever before. Well, they don't have any real reason to leave. And the question in my mind, maybe Endow has the answer, is, well, then how far do they migrate? Do they migrate the same distance and the same migration route that they did in 1960? 1950? Don't know. But there hasn't been any studies on the migration route for southern Nevada in the last
2: 15 plus years. Well, why would they move? They have everything that they need. So so they have a feed source that's getting renewed on a regular basis. It's always a constant source of feed. They have wa- they have access to water. I mean, there's not a whole so lot the of... Water to, the,
0: well, the food source for the ag field itself is productive, depending on where it's located, probably six months out of the 12. So the questions I have in my mind is, okay, if you call the a deer by an act field. You know where point A is. Yep. What you want to know is in the next 365 days after that, how far away do they go? That will be point B. So you got point A and point B. When did they leave point A? And when did they get to point B?
2: And how long did it take to get there? See, I think that's where part of the value too is, you know, we have a lot of areas that, you know, Nevada's not a, it's a a big state but we've got a lot of bordering states and a lot of that bordering state habitat is you're going to have deer and elk and everything crossing over. And so for those areas, if we have deer in in Nevada that are going into another state during breeding season, it's in our best interest to make that habitat as well. So we can get those deer back over our border. So those populations, you got to work with your neighboring states to just, for that, if we fight each other, and no, it's we're going to just fight each other and fight each other. Well, no, nobody's really winning on those border state areas. It's both of
1: our herds. Well, yeah. Well, I'm on board, Mike. Do you want to go tonight? Do we just have to go tonight and trade the deer and put the collars on?
0: Dude, I, I, you're a little late coming to the party. I wanted to do that two years ago. We would have look how much knowledge we would have had. You should have just,
1: I'd pay for gas. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, he, okay. <laughs> he won't on, on hit he it a here, good but I have <laughs> to bring someone
1: like to shoot. Though will be Brian. Yeah. With what
0: Ron's saying, you're talking our bordering states. You know, I've been in contact with uh, Utah. They're very free with some of their knowledge. so when I call up, I, I get to spend some time with them. Utah right now has a minimum of 165 deer. On the eastern border, color. They started color in, in uh, 19, uh, 2016. On the 19, eastern border, 19, so man. that's
1: the.
0: So you got Utah, you got Utah, Nevada. But that's their Colorado side, or no? On on our eastern side, on eastern our, Nevada and western and, got yeah, okay. and western um, cool Utah. So they got about one hundred sixty-five. They've been following them now for about five years. They've got a pretty good grip on where they're going. Um, as I talk to them. On Pine Valley Mountain, for example, yep. in, in oh, Utah, Bayo area. Yeah, their population on Pine Valley Mountain, not that area, on Pine Valley Mountain, was 21,000 deer. I'm like, wow. Because I'm thinking to myself, as the crow flies, what are we talking, 40 miles, 50 miles into eastern Nevada, Pioch, Panaca area around there? Uh, I think our in area 80. 23, I, I think our population's estimated like 3,500. Really? Well, the thing that always crossed my mind, I i don't have the answer, but is it 3,500 because 3,000 of them went into Utah and Utah's counting them? <laughs> or do we have 3,500 because we really only have 1,000 and we got 2,500 coming from Utah coming in and helping us out? I don't know either way. I believe our biologists probably have, but we haven't done that particular study in quite a while, yeah. And then if we do that, we could we could figure
1: out where they're going, what they're eating, what's killing them, and we could focus on food, habitat, and predator control in their migratory paths to make those those herds bigger.
0: Absolutely. Well, for me, what what really made mm-hmm. it up in my mind that we need to do that? How did you manage something you don't know what it's doing or where it's going? Yeah,
1: it's like having a, a herd of cattle and being like, "Well, I'm just going to let them roam." The They're gone. Come back. I don't know
0: where they went to. And so when it comes time for the roundup, I don't know where to go to go round them up at.
1: Because there's there's not really any wild game anymore. They're all managed herds, and if we're not managing our herds, good enough. You know, so it's just
2: like letting cattle go and hoping some come back. Well, we are, we have a, a true model of that. I mean, look at the wild horse population, and it's that herd has not been managed effectively, and and there is no control of that herd. We just. We're taking horses and moving them from one state and creating a problem in another right. state. It's all we're doing. Right. And you know, unfortunately, we get the antis. And, and I love a horse just as much as the next guy. But, I love a good horse. But yes. but when they're they're killing other species off, and and it's making it tough for other species to grow, and they're dying. I mean, these horses are out there and they're malnourished. They're they're not surviving. And they're
1: interbred.
2: And, and so. Oh. That's an understatement. Yeah, sure.
1: they're just they're they're not they're not they're not wild horses. They're not these majestic stallions. They're, no, and, and, they're a herd that's not managed and they're just a they're they're just kind of a kind of a gross animal now.
2: And the Native American tribes have actually toyed with the idea of, of a managed hunt and you know, it got so ugly that they finally had to just cancel it altogether. And I think personally I think that's something that, that would bring a lot of value. But it's just that <laughs> public sentiment about a horse that people don't... People sit in their living room and they look at the uh, T. Boone Pickens wife videos and these beautiful Black horses running across, running across the Western Plains and through grass all the way up to their belly. Well, that is glamorous, but but it's in rea- reality. Go over there to Cold Springs and you tell me how much uh, grass is out of Cold Springs right now. And so those, those horses, if... If we reduce the herd size, those horses will be healthy. They'll be well managed, and they will be back to that horse. But you have to control that population. Somehow you got to control it. And right now, there, there's been they've done some sterilizations on horses yeah. and stuff like that. Well, you're sterilizing, you're just letting them to death at that point. So, yeah. and the, and the sterilization doesn't last, and we know it doesn't last. The only thing that's really going to last is to, to thin the herd. Yeah, and that's it. And thinning the herd doesn't mean I take my Nevada horse and I move him into Montana. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thinning the herd. I mean, there, there's plenty of people that take those horses. There's plenty of countries that love to have those horses. And we don't have to kill them. I mean, I, I heard the Apaches loved wild horses, like their favorite meat. But uh, un- unfortunately, the bias we have today, we I don't think it's a viable option to hunt. I'd love to hunt it. Don't don't get me wrong. I think it'd be awesome. I'd love to eat a horse. But I'll eat anything. So that yeah, being said, willing. I don't think it's a viable option, but I think it is a viable option to, uh, you know, use our resource for good and to, to ship these these horses other places where they will be used.
0: A true biologist mm-hmm. looks at everything. Yeah, every solution. COVID. We don't want. We, we would be infuriated if they only looked at two groups. Let's let's say that that let's say that the the COVID group is only looking at people seventy years and older.
1: Well, saying, well, say, well, we
0: don't, we don't really care what happens to the ones less than seventy. Yeah, and it's like well, yeah, we would oh, all be up in arms of, well, how, how are you managing this? Yeah, you can't have any sacred cows. No. So when you have when you have something that doesn't have an apex predator, well, I shouldn't say doesn't because there are some mountain lions that will take down some horses. Yeah. And stuff and do that, which is probably a, a good um, a good start. The uh, the problem is you have to manage, and some people are afraid to do what is probably what we call the right thing. Well, unpopular. Exactly, exactly. So I'm I'm a horse guy. I ride horses all the time. Just just like uh, well, that's the picture
1: we put on our page with the last. Well, there you go. There
0: there you go. That was in the rubies up on yes. (laughs) So, but I also I literally want to cry if I go to Cold Springs and see those deer. I, those those horses what's worse is to see the colt yeah that there's no milk or anything from the mare to nurse that colt so you just kill two
2: yeah all it's in the name of doing something the right a preserving what yeah and you're not and you're not preserving what you're doing is you're killing multiple species off is what you're doing and and, and that's a sad, sad it plan. is it is sad and, and you talk about so yeah this will the mountain lions will take down a horse. There's no doubt that they can. But in that same area, you're going to have elk and you're going to have deer. The same mountain lion yeah. is going to attack because the deer is going to be a whole lot easier to take down than a horse. horse. Absolutely opportunistic. So, Absolutely. so you know it's a it's a double edged sword. Where it, so let's just increase the mountain lion population. Well, no, you can't do that because if you do that, now we decimate other populations. And then you know it's it really is. You you look at areas that brought in. They're wanting to bring back the wolf and they're wanting to reintroduce the wolf because the wolf is such a majestic animal. And what you're seeing (laughs) is, man, it's completely changing the landscape. Yeah. And and it's not in a good way. So you're taking out, you're changing the apex predator in those areas. And now it's becoming the wolf. And and wolves are ferocious. They'll they'll go and kill something just to kill it. Absolutely. They're just going to kill it. And, And so now you're having not just what they can eat, That they're going to kill for food, but you're going to—it's a sport kill for them, and so they're going to go kill an elk just for the fact that they can kill an elk. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and that's—and that's what people don't realize. It's the the pictures and the the Sierra clubs and all those that put out the beautiful pictures and the brochures. Oh, look at this pretty wolf. Well, they don't—they're never reality. There's a side effect to everything you do. Just ask the striped bass and lake me. Exactly. Just
0: ask. I mean, just ask the, I mean, the, the largemouth. And bass that's why. That's, that's why. That's why the management of wildlife isn't as fast as we would like it because it's got to be thought through. It's got to be looked at and stuff. Not,
1: Butterfly effect, almost.
0: Yeah, and, and so you know the multi- We started to talk about the mule deer uh, uh-huh. enhancement project. Yeah. What we've been discussing here are all potential limiting factors to the mule deer. So yeah. I'm hoping that there's uh, a light yep. at the end of the tunnel. We've shed some light on some limiting factors that I'm hoping that the deer population in the state of Nevada doesn't drop lower than 90 or 85 and that we can, the idea isn't to get it back to the glory days, if you will. The idea is to stop the bleeding.
2: Well, and if, we,
0: if we could just get three years in a row that it didn't drop because we are on a 30 year decline to me, success is we keep it at ninety? Now we can get in and say, okay, we think we've got the the leak in the boat filled up. Now let's see if we can't find. What shore. It's like before you shore. start
1: bucketing out of water? You got to fix the leak first. Yeah. Exactly. Well,
2: <laughs> and, and the, the scary part is, you know, every day there's not a day that goes by that I don't hear somebody say that we need to increase the number of tags we give out. And, You're right. And, and so it's a very unpopular opinion to say that we need to limit certain areas now. I I see the side of, of the doe hunt and that doe hunt's tough. Mm-hmm. What I will say is the doe hunt for a youth hunter is, is a way to get that kid into hunting where they're going to, you're going to greatly increase their odds of success. But is it a way to teach them about conservation? It, it isn't probably the best way to teach about conservation, but it's what? to get them excited about, have, those kids will get excited. If you send a kid out four years in a row and they, they can't harvest. Yeah, that kid's I, I, not I, I, no, absolutely. Hey,
1: but there's other things they could harvest. It don't have to be a
2: deer. But, so I see, I see, I see the youth doe hunt a little bit different than I see some of the regular doe hunts that we have, and we still are giving doe tags out whether it's in Baker Ranch or, or those areas. But right, but I think it's important that we we as hunters put all the cards on the table and understand that you know. Probably the answer is going to be some sort of limitation, and and more limitation than what we have. And personally, I know the state of Nevada loves they love their non resident tags because their non resident tags are a moneymaker for them. Oh, absolutely! But you've got to take care of your home state people that are paying for the animals to start with. No, absolutely. Let's elaborate on the youth dove
0: hunt. We you, you refer to it as the youth dove hunt for some of the people are just tuning in. Or what it is is a youth tag when a youth gets a tag it doesn't matter the sex exactly so so it's not saying that the youth must shoot does it's they're given that option that hey they've hunted all week and you know there aren't as many bucks out there they can't find the bucks it's the last day of the season they want to become successful man i got to take a doe so i i i would just want to clarify that a lot of people aren't thinking that. Hey, every youth kid that's going out there is going out just to shoot
2: it. Yeah, no. In fact, I mean, most of the kids that are going out, you talk especially a oh boy that's been around hunting his life. Last thing he wants to do is shoot, shoot a deer Yeah, yeah several hunters still
1: yeah. won't shoot a deer And you
2: know, and this year it was it was tough, and it's got to be tough for surveys too. So you do your aerial surveys in the same spot every year. Well, the, the deer population is going to migrate based on weather. And so this year what we noticed is during muzzleloader season when you know usually we still had good deer in there but I saw more velveted bucks up in up there than I've ever seen on a muzzleloader hunt because it was so warm it hadn't got cold yet so was, sometimes those deer that the weather patterns are weird enough to where the deer aren't yeah. where they were necessarily going to be the year before. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. And yeah. so, so you kind of, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? So you're, you're trying to catch as good a data as you can by limiting some of the factors and, and it's tough. And it, it, it really is a little bit of a guessing game. And I think we do a good job. I mean, it's a little bit easier with waterfowl because I can take an aerial photograph, snap a picture of a lake and count the start, number start of counting ducks. ducks right? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and I can do that if I did it, May 1st and I knew the weather was this on May 1st. And I did it on May 1st the next year and these are the ducks are in. I kind of get a good idea of what my population is. So it's a little bit tougher with, with deer, just their migration pattern within an area, you know, it's true. It's so true. you'll push 111 into 112 up north. Yeah. You know, depending on the season of the year. So and depending on how cold it is, we've seen, you know, it get cold early and that the deer will be gone. And then you've seen it get cold late. And the deer are still there at rifle season. Well, then
1: the deer migrate down, too. Yeah, and
2: that's that's one of the questions I've been
0: trying to to get answered. We assume deer migrate north and south. How many of them migrate east to west? Exactly. It's like, okay, where's, you know, um, and I I don't have the answer, but I, I think that it's probably for another. Another podcast, but I think that would be a good subject to talk about. Just just migration corridors. And how many do we really have? And and the one thing for me that I would like to find out is when we talk migration, what what is the definition of a migration? And how far do the deer in Nevada actually migrate? Is it 100 miles? Is it 200 miles? Is it 25 miles? What is it? And and you would if once you could determine what that really is. Groups like you guys yeah. and, and some of the others would have a better chance of doing a more viable project to say, I call them stagecoach stops. Because like we talked about earlier, when they leave point A and they go to point B, if it took two months, well they can't they they gotta have some place to stop for food. They gotta have exactly. some place to stop for water. Well let's see, from point A to point B, like you talked about counting your ducks and in, in May, you look at it and go, Well, there's no water projects in between here. What you know why don't why don't why don't we put a, a guzzler in there? Or let's look at the habitat. Oh my God, all of that habitat's been burned.
1: Yeah, and if we why, put, why are we
0: doing habitat restoration over here when we know this is a major migration study? Let's put our money and our efforts into it this year of doing that, so that down the road we can reap some of the. Better.
1: Also, if we could control the migration corridors, then we could put water stops and we could we could plant food that way and focus predator control.
0: I believe oh. the ag fields do that. Oh, do you? Okay. I, I do because oh. I think I think that – well, that's just my hypothesis mm-hmm. because when you look, it to me, it's almost as if it's the same deer coming into the fields every year. Yeah. In front of my ranch, I can kind of predict when they're going to show up. You got names for them? Some of them. I had Floppy <laughs> this year.
2: I had a doe that I'd never – Backstrap, had. hamburger, <laughs> jerky. <Yeah. laughs>
1: hey, so we got uh, uh, Mike – Cowell on here just said, he said, uh, I think they should keep the option for youth, but eliminate the doe tags for five years. Which is a okay,
0: option. And, and um, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Good, I, I have always good, good. Said,
1: Thanks, Mike, for that, that input, by yeah, the way. Yeah,
0: thank you. Uh, since I've been in this state, I've always said at 260,000 population, you're not affecting it by taking some does out. But when you're down to 90,000, you are doing more harm to the herd. By taking the does out than if you're taking a doe out at 90000 versus a doe at 260000 But
1: again, like Brian said, and like you said about those horses, it's just the unpopular thing to do. Again, is, sometimes you got to do the unpopular well, thing. Well,
2: and that's the thing. I think...
1: What'd they do in Ohio, Brian? You're talking to me about that, right?
0: What's up? About they me? outlawed uh, deer hunting for 43 years in Ohio.
2: Well, and the thing is, I
1: bet that was super popular. As
2: as hunters, we just have to put the options on the table and see which one is going to work the best. So if it's if it's a moratorium on does for two years, let's see how the population increases in two years. Or you know maybe it's a point to where you make two brackets of youth hunters. You have a younger youth hunter group and an older youth hunter group, and the younger can still harvest the doe, and the older can. So it gives them an opportunity to harvest when they're a little bit younger. And then when they get a little bit older and they should have more skill, then then that you take that option away and, and it prepares them to actually become a better adult hunter because you're not going to have that option as an adult. Yeah. So getting a doe tag as an adult is, is a lot more difficult. I'll, I'll be honest with you, doe tastes a lot better than a <laughs> assy old buck. So. I
0: would like to see a slot limit put in. What I mean by that is for the youth, I would like to see, because we're in the dire straits right now, mm-hmm. I'd like to see... Uh, you're only allowed to take a doe in the last five days of a season because it gives that emphasis to do your stocking, to do your hunting. It's a spot and stock. You teach everybody that way. Now, don't get nervous because as our last resort, hey, we've seen these does. We know where they're at, but let's put an honest attempt in there to harvest a buck. If we can't, we've got some...
1: Just some sort of limitation, right?
0: Well, yeah, but maybe we only do it like he said. Maybe we only do it for three years. Yeah. Five, five years, whatever, because we as sportsmen shouldn't be afraid to make the difficult decisions yeah. when we're down to dire straits. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. We blame people for not managing the uh, horses correctly. We can be just as blamed for not managing the deer correctly Yeah, of what, of what we perceive it to be. So,
1: Not doing the unpopular thing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, um, I'm open-minded to it. But what I would like to see, and this could be a topic for another podcast, is I think what's more critical is what's our fawn recruitment like. Yeah. The, do- the does that are shooting, if the does, I call them social security does, okay? Because
2: after a period, they quit producing. Exactly. Well,
0: what did you hurt the herd if, if you're
2: taking out a doe that quit producing? Well, that's like the sheep up in Alaska, the doll sheep. So, you know, if, yeah. you, if you shoot... If you shoot a non mature sheep, that's the last sheep you'll ever shoot. Yeah, and, and I, I think there's there's value to it. It's managing the herd. Well, I think we're a yeah, we, we're a little bit over an hour and a that's half. What happens so. when you get three long winded guys wow. in the room. <laughs> well, well <laughs> this has
0: been great. I, I appreciate the invite from you guys coming in. No, well, we appreciate here, you coming this. on, and
2: uh, we appreciate your wealth of knowledge and all you do for the wildlife community and and the projects and getting guys like Ron and I are a little bit more involved and and showing us kind of areas where we can. We can improve our clubs and, and help improve the wildlife habitat is, is huge for us. So
1: hey, so Mike, if, if people have questions, how can they reach
0: you? I was gonna, I was just gonna okay. do a, a reach out. Um, if you guys have topics that you would like to have discussed here, go on the uh, Southern Nevada Coalition's Facebook page. Put your comments down. Uh, if you want to reach me, Percy, put a comment down on the Facebook page. I respond back to uh, all of them. If you want to uh, PM uh, me, Mike Reese, I'm on Facebook. Uh, You can instant message me. uh, Give phone numbers. We can have some discussions and stuff. Um, But the bottom line: give some, give some comments back, some feedback, and uh, and let us know how we're doing. If we're covering uh, subjects that needed to be covered, and uh, we're not afraid to talk about anything. Everything. All three of us have a mutual respect for all everybody. we're the ones that are trying to get all of the groups to work together, and us as sportsmen want to stay as sportsmen as a whole.
1: Yeah, well, thank, thank you so Mike, much, Mike. For uh, I mean, our motto is take one, teach one, and you're definitely teaching a couple old rednecks some new things. So we appreciate, you know. <laughs>
0: well, having... I learned how to be a
2: bucket biologist now. <laughs> uh, and, hey, if you're going to be a bucket biologist, make sure you hunt hard when you're a bucket biologist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, thank yeah. you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. you.